Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score, your post New Mexico State victory edition. I don't know if you heard, Missouri put a thumping on New Mexico State, as they should. As they should. 45 14 is the ending score. Wasn't close. Doesn't look close. Never really was a threat. BK, how do you feel about this game? I hate that they play them. I know you <laughs> like it's just, it really is that simple. I I understand why. I we don't have to like dive into this as deeply as we do in the off season, which I'm sure we'll have this conversation again going into next year. But I just hate so much that Power Five teams play these games. They're worthless. Like we all knew exactly how the game was going to go before it was played. We watched it, and it went exactly as we all expected it to. And you leave and you're like, I learned nothing about my football team. They learned nothing about their team. And we all go home feeling unfulfilled about the fact that we watched that football game. So, I mean, they, they did what they needed to do. And that's what matters. Mm-hmm. But it it just is not. I, I don't enjoy games like that. Like, I, the only thing that I think I, I really enjoy, and it's just because we're nerds and we geek out over this stuff, is like, watching the fourth mm-hmm. quarter and seeing what the young guys are able to mm-hmm. do. So you leave the game and it's it's less about Barrett Bannister having a career day or uh, Brady Cook playing one of the more efficient games of his career. Like none of that really matters. It's about what did the young guys show you and did it amount to anything and uh, that is enough to make you feel better about him moving forward. So I guess that matters, but I mean, not really. I like wins. That's nice. And the rules say that even being one of the worst college football teams of all time still counts as a win. So I like that. And I like that yeah, New Mexico State gets to, uh, you know, fund their athletic program for another year. I like that. I like people playing this sport. I like lots of people getting opportunities to play, you know, sports at the collegiate level. I like that. But from a Mizzou-centric standpoint, yeah, you're right. You learn nothing. <laughs> you can only open yourself up for injuries and bad things. And uh had a lot of injuries. That was kind of a concerning part. Now, I think part of that was everyone knew that Missouri could play with their backups or a C-plus game and win comfortably. So they didn't push guys back in. I think, you know, like a Isaiah McGuire, like, you know, you okay, he's hurt. And, and, and all right, well, we're just going to keep him out so he doesn't risk anything as we need, you know, a short week before we play a game that really, really is important against Arkansas. So I think that was part of it too. But you saw a lot of guys leave with injury. You saw Pear Bannister get uh, concussed, seemingly, um, towards the end of the fourth quarter there. So, I mean, there were bad things that happened. You might, you know, wag a finger at some of those lasting defensive drives in the third or fourth quarter. You might not have been super happy about that. But, yeah, I don't know. It was exciting to see backups play. It was exciting to see Brady Cook look good. You haven't seen that a whole lot. You've seen that a lot in the past couple of weeks. So it's exciting to see that continue. And frankly, the big winner of this game is the offensive line because they got a lot of reps against an overmatched opponent and got to have just you know more experience playing together. Other than that, I don't know. What was your favorite part of the game? There had to be one. What was your favorite part of the game? 
probably Dalen Carnell or mm. I, I mean, it, my, my two guys that I love from two recruiting classes ago, both had a big moment. Dalen Carnell had a pick six and that was fun. And I think he's going to be a star. And I went back and watched some of his film uh, so far on the season. I, I think he's an NFL player. I got you can see all of the flashes. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He plays coverage. Well, he plays against the run. Well, every he, he misses a few tackles. That's something that I'll have to clean up next year. But everything you want to see in a player that plays that overhang position, he does it. So love to see that. And then, I mean, let's be honest, the, the highlight of the game was Ryan Horsecamp That's what I was waiting on for. his first career target, getting his first career oh, touchdown. Yeah. Like the horse is loose. It's out of the barn and we're all very happy about it. He showed more on that play than Missouri's Titans have shown the entire rest of the season combined. <laughs> so happy for him. Happy to see him do something on a big stage. I think he's going to be their starting tight end next year. Yeah, I mean, assuming they don't go to the transfer portal, yeah, I would say, you know. And why would you do that when you've got the horse? Gotta let that horse run free, baby. That's Gotta right. Nowhere else, man. That's just, uh, he was scooting. He was going as fast as his thick legs could carry him, and uh, it was faster than yeah. New Mexico State could run, so that was tremendous. Now, it is worth noting, yes. I don't know if he can turn. Like, <laughs> is he just a train? Lateral? <laughs> you know, lateral movement, maybe not his thing. Uh, but that's okay, because he's when he's moving forward, he seems to move at a very, very fast pace. Yeah. So uh, it was good to see him come up with a big play. Well, for you, what was the thing that stood out to you most? Man, I I, I would say Dalen Carnell. I, I mean, obviously, I love the horse. Uh but seeing him, you know, you just so effortlessly pick that ball, catch his feet, and return it for a touchdown, I was like, yeah, that oh, that's the good stuff right there. That's the good stuff. That's what makes me feel better about Martez Manuel not being here next year. So uh, I, that was probably my favorite. And, and then the other part was just any of the backups making plays. You saw Jalen Marshall out there. You saw Johnny Walker Jr. out there. Arden Walker was making plays. Um, saw some Devin Nicholson, saw some Damian Wilson, saw some Drayden Norwood, you know, Marcus Clark. Like, you just, you got some good rotation. Tyler Hibbler was out there. Like, I just, I like seeing the younger guys out there. And the offense, you know, was okay against an overmatched opponent. I think the defense was fine. They seemed a little uninterested at the beginning, but they they really dialed yeah. it in. And, you know, that's fine by me. I, I liked, uh, you know, for me, seeing Tavoris Jones not only run, really his first touch was that catch, that 34-yard catch or whatever. I was like, oh, yes. That, <laughs> that is what I want. That is what I want to have been seeing from the running back position. And, like, Cody Schrader is great. He is great at running the ball and catching the ball. But you need somebody else. And it's been kind of a rotating cast behind him. And I'm not saying Tavoris Jones can do this against everybody because he did against New Mexico State. But if you're looking for a... Uh, a spell running back, somebody else to kind of carry the load with Cody next year. I hope, I hope that can be Tavoris Jones because he looked great. He, I think he can be what we expected this year, Nate Pete to be, or what we expected last year um, to see out of, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Tennessee, Tennessee running back, Elijah Young. So, I think he can be that guy where it's like a change of pace yeah. comes in, adds a little bit of juice to the lineup. It helps you in the passing game, maybe even just flat out third down back. I think he's got some of that in him. So that was fun to see. I, I liked the catch. Didn't love him fumbling the football. Yeah. That's something that'll and like, it doesn't bother me the way that it'll bother the coaches sure. because we've seen why is it that Elijah young didn't play in this game? Well, 
because he fumbled in the last one. Why is it that Nate Pete mm-hmm. got put on the bench? Well, because he had a case of fumbleitis. This coaching staff does not put up with that. If they have Cody Schrader, who is just as consistent as they come, there is nothing exciting about it, but he's going to get you three and a half to four yards, and he's not going to let go of the football. That's enough. Like for, for this coaching staff, that's what they're looking for. They just want somebody to run the yeah. offense and be efficient when doing so. So that that is something that I'll have to take care of. But it's he's a he's a freshman, got four carries, fumbled on one of them. It happens. Just don't let it happen again in the future. But that that is a guy that definitely stood out. He he had some serious juice. And when you get a four star running back, that's what you want mm-hmm. it to look like when he gets his first opportunity. Mm-hmm. Cody did fumble. Oh, by the way, we way, but he recovered it, so it was okay. That's that's what matters yeah. for them. Um, we we should probably bring up like I, he's not a guy that got his first opportunities, but I'm writing about this for this week. Luther Burden has shown you everything that you wanted to see when it comes to his talent level. There is no doubt about whether or not like was Luther Burden overrated in high school? No, no. People didn't miss on him. The talent is there. He just needs some refinement. I went back, Nate, and looked at Doriel Green-Beckham's freshman mm-hmm. year to see how it compared to Luther Burden's freshman mm-hmm. season. It's super similar. Now, obviously, very different skill sets, but just the overall, like, yards from scrimmage, high touchdown rate, all of that stuff, that's all there. You can see the playmaking ability, but just like Luther, or just like Doriel Green-Beckham, Luther Burden needs a lot of refinement, and I think you're going to see that in the offseason. You can already tell things are starting to slow down for him a little bit more. He's getting more involved. He seems to be picking things up a little better. Still needs to read his blockers better, but he's got the talent to be able to overcome that. But he's it's there, and I think next year he's going to blow up the way that we saw with Doriel Green-Beckham. And this was just yet another reminder of that. When when he's going up against talent that is inferior, so far this season he has dominated Mm -hmm. And next year, as things continue to slow down for him, he understands not only what he's doing, but what the offense is trying to accomplish. And they're able to find new and creative ways to use it, utilize him. I think he's going to have a monster season next I year. I hope so. Yeah, he he hates running behind his blockers like completely. He That first <laughs> touchdown he had, I think even the broadcast pointed out, he had three offensive linemen paving away for him. And he goes, no, outside. And then hurdle a dude to, to get into the touchdown, which objectively much cooler uh but but you can't always do that against sec competition uh likewise you know against the other one very similar situation his blocker was pushing outside and he was like well i want to kind of follow him and eh, i'm not really gonna take his block and i was like okay you can get away with that against new mexico state you can get away with that against louisiana tech we know that can't get away with it against Abilene Christian. Yeah, same can't thing. get away with that against Kansas State or Auburn or Florida or anybody like that. But OK, that's fine. You know, DGB did not get as involved in the run game as other marquee receivers. But yes, he was he was probably not as impressive as we all wanted him to be that freshman year. Also, because James Franklin was hurt for half the year and, you know, something mm-hmm. somebody called Corbin Burke stressor was throwing the ball around. So, like, yeah, it was it was a little bit. uh mixed results from DGB, but you did see potential. And then, of course, Franklin comes back. He's got a year, an entire offseason to refine, like you said, and it was uh, it's quite good. So, yeah, I'm really curious to see what that what that leap is going to be. He's got a buddy, Dom Lovett, who has made that leap. He's he spoke this week about listening to the older guys and how to how to develop, how to run your routes, how to block, all that sort of stuff. So, 
Yeah, he is. He's just kind of a weapon. You know, he is. He is a like you call it like a slash player. Like you can kind of put him in a bunch of different places, and he is effective in a lot of different ways. And so you're going to see him get carries or those little push passes and line up in the slot, line up on the outside. He's going to do all of that. So you might not see like the 200-yard passing line uh, every single game, but he affects the game in many ways, not only with the ball but without it. And I, I can't wait to see what he does next year. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And uh, that Dom Lovett comparison I think is a perfect one as well. Like you saw some of the flashes last year, and it just it took some time. Mm-hmm. And then after a year, he was able to refine things. He came in this season, and when he was healthy, he was one of the best wide receivers in the SEC. And now he's kind of fallen off because of some of those injuries, mm-hmm. I think, and um, they've, they've taken hold for him. But, I mean, next year, you look at what they could potentially have outside. And with Luther Burden taking that step, if Dom Lovett is able to return to form of what he was this mm-hmm. year, I really like what we've seen this year. It's, it's super limited sample, but... From Makai Miller, mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that's probably just going to step into that role that you had with Toski Dove this year um, and maybe earn more targets in doing so. That's a trio outside that you can build around, man. And then you add Ryan Horsecamp. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding here. Um, as a tight end who adds a little something. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but a little something in the passing game. All right. It's interesting if Tavorce Jones becomes something as a runner. All right. Dude, don't now rule out Chance Looper coming back and whatever sure. Josh Manning's going to be. Like, there are. And I think he's, I, I think he is like Makai Miller mm-hmm. plus. Mm-hmm. Like, he, I, I think that's kind of the role that he'll be in next year. It's just like a, a, a bit piece, but consistently makes plays when he's out there. Yeah. Chance Looper, man. So it's like, there. You, you can see it. Yeah. They just, they really need the quarterback. Yeah, that's the big thing. So let's. Let's talk about the quarterback. And then we're going to talk about two guys in particular. Let's start with, let's start with the one that we've known the most, Brady Cook. Brady Cook had another good game. This is also another game in which Bush Hamden was the primary play caller. This was another game in which the running backs were fine against the run, and Brady Cook was really your primary running weapon. Um, but he finished the day. Uh, was a 19, 19 for 27, 251 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, seven carries, 71 yards. Like, yeah, that is, that is perfectly fine. That is, that is an acceptable quarterback play. Even if it, if it's against New Mexico state, like he has put together a couple of good weeks and I, I don't know if it's going to beat Arkansas and I don't know if it's going to be your long-term answer, but then you saw Sam Horn for a drive. One very small drive. Before we get there, can we talk about Cook for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Because I, I want to do, I'm sure we'll go more extended on on Horn than Cook. But I, I looked up what Cook's done in his last four games. This is what I thought, like, best case scenario Brady Cook was going to be. In his last four games, he's completing 66% of his passes for 840 yards. It's about seven and a half yards per attempt. Six touchdowns, zero interceptions. On the ground in those four games, he's carried it 40 times for 250 yards and three touchdowns. So he's basically contributed nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, and more than about almost 1,100 yards, if you're including his passing and rushing yards, over his last four games. That's totally fine. 
Like that, that is not bad. And he's done that. I know one of those games was against New Mexico State, but the other three games were South Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee. I mean, that's that's kind of what we were hoping for Brady Cook to be. If he played like that earlier in the season, I think you probably add another win or two to the schedule. And this is not me caping for him. This is not me telling you that he's the answer and he's the guy. No, none of that. I'm simply saying this is what I was hoping that we would see out of him. It's what I was hoping that eventually Connor Bazelak would have become. He's become a game manager and he's adding value with his legs. I don't know what the upside is here because he has but like zero ability to create explosive yards through the air. It's all at or near the line of scrimmage. So that, that should be baked into this. But what he's done in his last four games does deserve some kudos. And for as much criticism as he gets, I, I don't know that he's necessarily been the issue in those four games. No, I mean, the defense is part of that, too. And, you know, Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee was about just a total collapse defensively. Yeah. Um, South Carolina, they they won. And then Kentucky was just a weird game, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah, we don't have to rehash that, but that was more special teams than it was offense or defense, right. honestly. But like, you know, like you said, a lot of that stuff is, is at or close to the line of scrimmage and Tennessee plays off. They don't give big plays. You know, they, they, they kind of let you do a little bit and then stiff it up in the red zone. So maybe some of that is by design. Same for Kentucky. Kentucky is, well, Kentucky's, Mostly running, you know, run defense and pretty good pass defense for the most part. But there, we'll give you a little things here and there. And South Carolina, as we've seen, <laughs> whatever the heck that was yesterday, I don't know. But uh, you know, some of this is scheme, uh, both on the you know, on the for what the opponent defense is doing and what Brady Cook can do. But we know that he is limited deep. That's just part of it. And I'm sure he's going to spend all summer working on it. And we're going to hear stories about how he's working on it. And the receivers will say he's doing great, but. Mm, how much are you going to improve in one summer from your third year to your fourth year? Probably not a lot. So I do think he's been great about probably maxed out as he's going to be. I don't think that is going to be your long-term answer. Like I said, however, if there's no other better option as in nobody else is getting better, then that might be your guy. And let's revisit Sam Horn Mm -hmm. because that was, that was the first time we saw him and he, Seemed to command the offense decently well. He ran for about 11 yards, kind of had a clunky lower the shoulder instance, but he was fine. He had a bullet to Barrett Bannister that got, you know, 30 yards down the field that was called back. Then he threw a pass that concussed Barrett Bannister and took him out of the game on senior night. So kind of a mixed bag. BK, I, I I mean, I've seen the, the hashtags, you know, horny for Sam and all that stuff, but like, I'm glad we saw him. I'm I'm glad he got a series. He didn't seem to do anything much better than Brady Cook could do, even in that small sample set. Is that a confirmation that he is just not ready this year, or did that tell you a little bit of something more than what than what you just saw? It's interesting. So I, I think there's a lot here. First of all. I think it's noteworthy. I know that some are pushing back on this, but I I just don't agree. I think it's noteworthy that he only got the one drive. And the reason why is because the final two drives of that game were handled by Jack Abraham. I understand that Jack Abraham is a senior, and this was quote-unquote senior day. Maybe this is me being 
unfair. I think senior day is a little different for a guy that is like nearly 30 years old. And I think senior day is a little different for a guy that came to Mizzou in his final year of eligibility to hopefully get one more opportunity at starting as opposed to like a Jelani Williams, for example, who's really battled to try to get playing time and has been there since day one. Like that was a cool story, seeing Jelani Williams get an opportunity at the end of that game. He's played a little bit this year, but and then to get that interception, that was really Mm -hmm. cool. Jack Abraham getting on the field like I maybe again, maybe this is me being unfair. I don't care if he got on the field prior to the final snap. He could have just kneaded out. That would have been fine, in my opinion. So why did he play the two drives? I think that it is noteworthy, and maybe this is me reading too much into it again, but that Eli Drinkwood said after the game, there were some guys that were young, that got some opportunities, that he was really proud of how they reacted to those opportunities. They showed him a little something. And then there were a lot of guys that got opportunities that did not impress him. And he used the term or the phrasing of like they were sitting over by the the heater too often, right? And I think people kind of latched onto that and they were like, oh, that's an unfair criticism. I don't think that's specifically what he's really talking about. What he's basically saying is they didn't seem engaged in the game. They didn't feel like they were prepared for their opportunities. And that I think is a totally fair critique. And it is something that has been whispered about specifically in relation to Sam Horn all season long, that he's not really engaged in the game. And it kind of feels like he's like just there to be there during the games and does that matter maybe not but when you're a quarterback who has the pedigree of sam horn that has the expectations of sam horn people take notice of that and if you're not gonna be like into the game and be the leader guy like that that does kind of matter eventually especially if you're taking over next year and so i i'm not here to tell you that he's not the guy I would say, though, if he was the guy, I would think that there would be a lot of things that would be handled differently this year. So I I don't know if he's the guy next year. I'll say that much. Maybe he is in 2024. Maybe he's the like, maybe it all clicks for him in the offseason. That's totally possible. I'm not giving up hope. But there are more puzzling signs here than there are reasons for optimism when it comes to Sam Horn. Yeah. I mean, he he wears the red hat. He puts in the signals to the game. I mean, he's listening. But he, I think his are fake, though. I mean, he could. I be. think he's a he dummy. Could be a dummy, yeah. Like not. I, I'm not. I should clarify here, just in case that gets clipped. I'm not saying that Sam Horn is dumb. <laughs> I'm saying right. he's a. Yes. He, he is giving in at dummy signals when yeah. he's on the sideline. So if you don't know, there's going to be like two or three guys on the sideline wearing a red hat or something different. And all three of them are going to be signaling something in and it rotates like who there's going to be two that are dummy signals or maybe they break it up in between the three. And yes, if you, what BK is saying that whatever Sam signs in is, is not the actual thing. So yeah, it's just yeah. nonsense. So maybe, I mean, I always see him. It's really easy to see him because he's got the red hat, the, the blonde hair and the Jersey, right? Like that's, that's really easy to pick him out. So he's usually near, near the field. I don't think he's, you know, the proverbial huddling around the heater, but it's not about the game, right? It's about practice. What's he doing in practice? And if he's walking around like he's, you know, the greatest quarterback in the world, like he has been for 18 years, and he doesn't feel like he... And it would be totally reasonable to, like, yes. for that to be his... Yes. 
the, the way that he contorts himself, you know, like that is, that is one of the toughest parts of getting really talented high schoolers into the college programs. You know, it's Nick Saban talks about uh, de recruiting guys to his program all the time because you go in and send the, you know, send mom and dad's living room. You tell them how great they are and how everything's going to be great at Mizzou. And you just blow a bunch of sunshine up their ass to get them to come to your school, maybe flash some dollars too. Okay, fine. But then they get there and then you got to, you know, break them down like boot camp and say, you are scum. You are nothing. You have to prove that you belong here. And that doesn't always go over very well with guys who have literally been not only the best athlete from their hometown, not only the best athlete from their high school, but now a four-star pedigree quarterback who, oh, by the way, also plays baseball, who could have gone anywhere, who could have made, you know, whatever in the minor leagues at baseball and chose this school. That can be tough to de-recruit. That can be tough to break down and get to buy into the team. And I'm not saying that's the case, but I am saying that has been the case before. And, you know, if you don't put in effort in practice, this is this is the this is the simplest story from all time from the beginning of college football. If you don't show your coach that you can practice, you're not going to see the field. End of story. And if that's going to be true for any of the blue chip guys who are who are in this program, then maybe that explains why they're not seeing the field. And if they didn't seem to give full effort during the game, you're one shot. <laughs> the one that counts, you know, for, for the fans and, and your opportunities, like, man, I don't I don't know what to tell you. And that's that might just be part of the problem. Yeah, it and none of this is to suggest that Sam Horn can't be good or that Sam Horn won't yeah. be good. He might be great. Like he, he he very well may end up being the next great thing for Mizzou football. But so far, we have been given zero indications by this staff that that's going to be the case. It reminds me, the handling of him so far this year reminds me a lot of the handling that we saw last year of Tyler Macon. Mm-hmm. And the, the coaching staff seemingly knew immediately, Macon's not our guy. He's not going to be the future here. They they missed. And you can disagree with that. You can say that you think that Sam Horn or that Tyler Macon's gonna go on to his next school, wherever that may be, and he's gonna be great there. That very well may be the case. The, the staff might be wrong, but it's not gonna be great at Missouri. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 really matters about like for us as Mizzou fans, what do they think? Mm-hmm. And so far, this situation seems to be going in that direction thus far so i i will be very curious to see what it looks like when it comes to the bowl practices Mm -hmm. if there's any like change in tune if he's getting some reps with the ones what that looks like and then really the telling sign we talk about this all the time nate these teams tell us with their actions not their Mm -hmm. words what's their plan like is brady cook is the plan for brady and sam horn to have a open competition next year is the plan for Sam Horn to be the starter next year. And for Brady cook to transfer is the plan for Jabbar Johnson to come in and, and be the starter next year. I, I genuinely do not know. Are they going to go out there into the transfer portal once again in the off season? I have right now, I, I couldn't even put odds on which one of those is the most likely because like, how could you, I don't know. I don't know where they are right now with the quarterback position. And I don't think this game this game gave you if it gave you a hint, it is not in the direction of Samuel. That's the thing. That was my big takeaway. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying this can't change. I'm just saying based off of how yesterday's game was handled, based only on that, 
And of course, you know how infrequently we've seen Sam Horn. Based on that, I am preparing myself for Brady Cook to be your starting quarterback in 2023. And I don't know what that means, but Sam got a series. A guy who, like you said, had been here for two months and is 38 years old with a mortgage, got to close out the game. So I am prepared for Brady to be QB1 once again. We'll see what that means. We'll see what changes, all that stuff. But you know, maybe Jabari Johnson blows it out of the water. I don't know. I was I was looking at his highlights, uh, his senior year highlights uh, this afternoon because I wanted to be happy about quarterbacks. And wow, wow, he's really good. But he's also going to be a freshman. So, yep. I did hear an interview with him recently, by the way, and he he mentioned, and we mentioned that I think on our last show, he. He believes that he's going to have a chance to be able to start right away at Mizzou. And it's one of the reasons why he picked Mizzou. Mm -hmm. And if you gave me odds right now, like, hey, who's Mizzou's next starting quarter? Or who is who's more likely to start for Mizzou next year? Sam Horn or Jamari Johnson? I don't know. (laughs) I I was also going to say who's I I would say they're like even. I was going to say, is is Missouri's starting quarterback in 23 on the roster right now? And I also don't know what that answer is like. I am also prepared for a transfer to come in. I feel like you have to at this point. I think it's equally as likely right now for Mizzou to go into next season with Brady Cook, Mm -hmm. Sam Horn, Jabari Johnson, or a transfer. Like, I would set it as equal odds on all four (laughs) of those possibilities. Yeah, I would too. That's wild. But I I think, like, my odds for Sam Horn being that guy went down based on the way that this game was handled. And maybe that is me overreacting. I don't think it is because this was your only opportunity to be able to see him Mm -hmm. in a game. And some may say, hey, what are you going to learn about him in two drives that you didn't learn about him in one or that you won't learn about him in practice? I think that there is a difference between playing games and practicing. And every snap in those games, I think, is meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I know that coaches think every snap that you play in a game is meaningful. So for them to just kind of punt on those, mm, yeah, it's interesting. It is. it is. And that might just be the biggest takeaway from this game, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, it's it's easily yeah. the biggest. It's the most meaningful long-term. Yeah. And the other thing is this goes back to, uh, I think it was your comment in the last show. I'm pretty sure it was the last show. Did you all watch the SEC games this past week? <laughs> Did you all watch <sighs> that? I feel much better about beating Vanderbilt, and I feel a lot worse about not beating Florida or not beating Kentucky. I mean, you said it. The SEC is not good this year. And we talked about the merits of the East and the West. College football is not good this year. I mean, the best team in the nation is, what, Georgia? And they are clearly flawed on offense. Is Bama good? No, Bama's That's unfair. Is Bama Bama great? Because I think they're good. But they don't have any receivers and their offensive coordinator yeah. can only call plays for Jameer Gibbs, which, hey, if I had Jameer Gibbs, I'd do that, too. <laughs> but like he's got like more targets than any receiver on that on that roster. And those receivers are all blue chippers. Like, what are we doing? If Bryce Young can't throw him out of a, a pickle, they can't do anything. And like the defense is great. Defense is always great. That's never been the problem. Like this offense is bad. Bama's not Bama's not great. They're hardly I think Bama's like LSU. Like Bama and LSU to me are like pretty similar. Flawed, but high In terms of the quality of their teams. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
good defense, not great, but good, good defense, and an offense that has a really good quarterback that can make just enough plays and has a couple of playmakers that scare you. That's those teams. But the rest of the SEC, like, Georgia's great, genuinely great. I think they're more limited than they were last year because they don't have the same skill guys, mm-hmm. but they're they're a really yeah. good team. Tennessee is, I, I think, special, but I don't know what happened mm-hmm. this weekend, man. I can't explain that. But, like, the entire rest of the conference, the entire premise of Ole Miss being good was built upon the fact that they had, like, played really well against mm-hmm. Alabama. And then when you consider the fact that Alabama might not be that great, it was a house of cards that we had built Ole Miss up upon. Yeah. Like what? What is their best win this year? Kentucky? Probably, yeah. Kentucky's not, not good. Lost to Vandy. Troy? <laughs> like, those are the two best wins on their schedule right yeah. now. And that's, what, the fifth best team in the SEC? Probably. Uh, yeah. It's not great. Yeah, I mean. It's not great. You look back on it. Mizzou didn't even have to beat a single good team this year to go eight and four. I mean, yeah, but we've we've that, seen teams, that's how the SEC we've is. seen teams go eight and four before, and people were disappointed. Is eight? I mean, obviously, we all want to make a bowl game. Obviously, six and six seems weird. It seems down. And for people that hear that and they're like, "Wait, what? Really? Like, if Mizzou beat Auburn, Auburn's not good. No. They beat Florida. Florida's not good." They beat Kentucky. Kentucky's not good. That's eight. You're at eight wins. Mm-hmm. You're at eight and three right now, going into your final week of the season with a chance to win nine. And I don't know if Arkansas is good. I would probably would say that they're not. Mm-hmm. So you could have gone nine and three this season without having a single victory against like a a really good team. Is it worth it though if you lost Drinkwitz at the end of it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Well, okay. Absolutely. Because they're no different. You say this all the yeah. time, right? Like, all that had to happen was you don't let go of the ball before you cross the goal line mm-hmm. against Auburn. Don't you don't throw a pick six against Florida. And you don't have one of two weird plays go against you against Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nothing else changes. That doesn't change the quality of the team in any meaningful mm-hmm. way. Same team, but you just have a couple of breaks go the other direction and you beat none of the good teams on your schedule, basically. You went nine and three. Yeah. Weird. I would, yeah. College football in 2022, my man. I'm really curious what's going to happen playoff-wise. Well, really, SEC championship first, then playoff. Like, I don't don't think there's any dominant team. It'd be really nice to have a couple more in there than four because this is the year to really kind of shake it up. This is the year when it would make so much sense, dude, because it, like, there there are real opportunities for upsets. Mm -hmm. I mean, USC has played one-score games this year. They're they're probably going to get into the college football playoff, USC mm. will. And, I mean, all they have to do is win out, and then they're in. Because Ohio State versus Michigan, one of them is going to lose. Right. And then they're in the top four. I mean, this is a Mizzou show, so I know playoff talk is not really our thing. But say Michigan beats Ohio State. We know that the committee hates, hates Michigan's non-conference. Like... I don't, I don't know. TCU wins out, they're in, right? Winner of Ohio State, Michigan, mm-hmm. they're in. Georgia, what if they lose to LSU? In, no matter what, they're in. Really? Georgia's in no matter what, I think. Would you put LSU in if they beat Georgia in the SEC championship? Uh, No, not over USC. Oof. Yeah. 
It's, it's see, this is ah, oh, four is so stupid. Four is so stupid. Because USC has the game next week against Notre Dame. I, I think luck. that's what's really helping. That's gonna them. be tough. It, it is for sure, and they, they're like they got to win yeah. that game. But I, I, I think USC is very likely to get in, and I like. USC has an awesome offense, but I'm not sure how good USC is. I would love to see USC Ohio in, State in a semifinal. It would be awesome. Yeah. First to 60. It would be awesome. But imagine if instead of that, you had like Alabama versus Georgia, mm-hmm. Ohio State versus Clemson, Michigan versus LSU, TCU versus USC. And then you've got another round yeah. after that where like USC probably plays against like Ohio State and then Georgia plays against like LSU again. I mean, incredible. It, there there's there's potential for a lot of mm-hmm. fun with a with an expanded playoff it really is so it's coming i know and it's not going to cheapen the regular season folks i promise you I promise you games are still going to matter well that's the other thing like people have brought up hey would the games this weekend have mattered if you had expanded the playoff i think something that people aren't taking into account is man home field advantage still matters in a real way in college football, especially when it's this late into the season. Like, do you think it matters to Michigan, for example, just to throw this out there to play a home game against USC? (laughs) Like, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, it matters a lot to have that game in Ann Arbor versus going to Southern California. So yeah, I more games. I think that that is the part that is more. That is the pitch. Yep. If you like games that matter, more will matter more because there's more opportunities to get like in. Oregon versus what was it? Oregon, Utah yes. on Saturday. Yes. That was basically an elimination game. Yeah. Yep. You know, Notre Dame versus USC. Notre Dame next week would be playing for their playoff lives. Yep. Instead, they're playing to go to nine and three and, you know, have a, a better I bowl. feel like most of the complaints about the regular season won't matter anymore are fans of like Bama and Georgia and Ohio State and Texas. Yeah. I'm like, well, it might not matter much to you and as much, you know, but like it's going to matter to more. And that's that's what this whole thing is about. So, anyway. You know who's a good example of this? Yeah. Because this team is like, I mean, they've been eliminated for a long time from college football playoff consideration, but like K-State, for mm-hmm. example. They've lost three games this year, but are they are they going to play for the Big Ten title? I haven't looked at the Big Ten standings. Big 12? Yeah, excuse me, Big 12 title. Yeah, they'll play TCU again, I think is what it's going to be. They would have a chance maybe at that point to they would. earn their way back into the college football playoff consideration. And that was a weird loss when they first met. <laughs> yeah. Like, who knows what happens the second time around? Dude. It, it, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. But... Thanks for listening to our college football playoff conversation. And the other thing, like the reason why this matters for Mizzou, Nate, is because while Mizzou would not be in those conversations, if they right now were eight and three, the teams that are eight and three on the season are ranked somewhere, the power five teams, at least somewhere between like 13th in the country and 25th in the country. Like Mizzou's probably ranked right now (laughs) if they're eight and three. Absolutely. Despite the fact that they probably wouldn't be a very good football team. So if they pulled off one of the upsets as well, man, now you're talking college football playoff. I did this exercise whenever the expansion talk was, um, was first thrown around. We would have had three teams in the playoff, 2007, 2013, and 2014. Can't tell me it doesn't matter to Missouri fans. Can't tell me that. I know we're not going to be there every year, but there's going to be some year where we get hot 
and the schedule lines up just right, like it can happen. And it's only going to happen with that expanded stuff. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go on a tear and win three playoff games or anything like that, but getting in, that makes a difference. And when you have multiple avenues to get into the playoff instead of four teams only, and so they, all the elite recruits go to Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, when you say, oh, I can stay on the West Coast and get into the playoff, that's when Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, that's when they start getting better. When you say, oh, I can just stay in the Midwest and do that, that's when you get dominant Kansas State, right? Iowa State might get feisty and get in there. Missouri might get feisty and get in there. Like, it keeps talent it keeps their options open if they want to play in the playoff and that matters and they want to get in the NFL. Having more venues to get in there, that's how you branch that talent out. You break up these these monopolies of the conferences, of all the talent, spread it out, make it a little bit more equal, get more opportunities for upsets, just make it more egalitarian. Like, this is, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing for Missouri fans. So, anyway, yes, playoff talk after we beat New Mexico State. And are currently five and seven or five and six, I should say. <laughs> hey, chill. Yeah, don't don't give them that extra loss. I, we got I, one more week. We'll talk it's about not Freudian. Um, I promise. It's we'll not talk about that later this week. Yeah. It's gonna be a fun game. Could be. Yeah. Did you watch Arkansas play at all yesterday? Uh, I didn't see much of that game. I actually did bet on Ole Miss though, and Oops. well, when Oops. you have seven hundred total yards and don't score more than like six points until the fourth quarter, it's not ideal. Not great. Well. There's, Arkansas's a, uh, defense is not good. Mizzou should be able no. to move the football. No, this could be a big win for, their quarterback for Drinkwitz, is quite good. Yeah. It would be the this would be like objectively the best win of the Drink era. Now all we right? got to do is win it. <laughs> and we can talk about how later this week. <laughs> we will. We will. That's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate you. Yes, you. Uh, for the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter as long as that thing's still around. I'm Matt Nagy Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock and Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, NIZ. Z-O-U.